We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And joining us today is Brooke Goodspeed. Brooke is the founder of GetIncluded.org. Let's jump in and get to know Brooke. Brooke, welcome. How are you? Hi, thank you both for having me today. I'm great. Yeah, awesome. Awesome to hear. So much great stuff to catch up on. And first, would really like to begin, Brooke, with like, tell us a little bit about, about you, where you were born, where you were raised, and tell us about Brooke in the early days. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in a suburb outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Grew up there and found my way really to my career in nursing and came to Philadelphia for school. Met my husband and the rest is history. Ended up building roots and a really strong community here in the greater Philadelphia area. That's great. Can you tell us about all the good work you're doing at getincluded.org and tell us a little bit about getincluded.org's mission? Sure. So Get Included is a nonprofit organization and we focus on helping people with all abilities reach their fullest potential in all aspects of social engagement, including employment. Excellent. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the unique challenges you're helping to solve specifically through getincluded.org? Sure. One of the biggest challenges that we are looking to impact is the representation of people with disabilities, especially invisible disabilities in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so we've focused on really including people with different identities, including autistic and mental health disorders, and really all aspects of the human experience that we all can, from time to time, identify with. So, Yeah, I want to ask you a little bit about that because you mentioned sort of invisible disabilities or learning differences and special needs. Can you talk about some of the unique experiences that a lot of folks go through when trying to find employment? Sure. Well, the disability community has a historical challenges with being included in employment spaces. We've made some progress with the ADA and with IDEA. Those are two legal statutes that really help to include people with disabilities, both in education and then in aspects of life, including employment. And I think that what we're hoping to do is help people access the employment opportunities and then maintain them. So I see this as like a twofold project for how do we get first people with different disabilities and neurodiverse needs to the interview? And then how do we convince people that they're worthwhile investing in? Because we really believe that there's a side to each individual person that really brings their unique and special strengths and Mm -hmm. companies and businesses can really with time and a little bit of investment, build better businesses because they're focused on all aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion. Rick, let me ask you a follow-up question to that. Is there one part of that process that's more challenging than the other? Meaning, is it more challenging to get the person with the disability to be motivated to do interviews, or is it more challenging to get companies in general, not singling out any one company, but companies in general to realize that these individuals can add to the value of the organization in many ways, just like anyone without a disability can? Sure. That's a great question. It's more of a challenge from the employer's 
standpoint. And I can say that as an employer, our organization runs a coffee shop that employs almost 40 individuals with neurodiverse needs. And I can tell you that I have a huge stack of applicants and mm. not enough space to add everyone, to give everyone an inclusive employment experience. And I think that highlights part of the problem that we have a huge workforce that's ready, able, and willing to be included. There's a, a heavy amount of work that needs to be done from the employer side. I think that's just from misunderstanding and really a lack of experience with individuals with neurodiverse needs. Because I think once you really incorporate individuals with neurodiversity into the workplace, then you know you really get to see what a huge benefit it is to have. Brooke, thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about what are some ways that you could pass on to others to help to eliminate stigma and separation and help others understand how not to discriminate against individuals with special needs or with disabilities? I think giving everyone the opportunity to learn and grow in an employment experience and transparency is really important. Without communicating our identity to the disability community, it's hard to break down barriers and move forward with progress. I mean, I think that there's so much stigma still around that removing that stigma is step one and that comes from both the self-advocates and families and community members and on the receiving end too, from business leaders. Brooke, one thing that we always see with any guests that we have on the podcast is the work that they're doing. They're very passionate about it and they're very passionate about it for specific reasons. And and I would love if you can maybe speak for a minute as to why this topic is so top of mind for you and why you're so passionate about it. I have a really personal attachment to the disability community. My middle child is 11 years old and He has Down syndrome and autism, and he's nonverbal. So he's been my greatest teacher in a lot of ways. I feel that he really introduced me to my life's work and a lot of my personal experiences with raising him, you know, fighting for his inclusion and just advocating for him. It was through this really eye-opening experience of what it's really like for people with disabilities in their families. And my work really stemmed from that experience of feeling isolated and alone and feeling like that he wasn't given an opportunity or even a chance in many instances. And then I saw that with so many of the community members and stakeholders through the nonprofit and my work just really always enlightened and sort of brought on to like get to see a new perspective from each person that I meet. And I feel like I'm learning more every day. Thank you for sharing that with us, Brooke. Really appreciate it. I know our audience will learn a lot from this conversation. What has this experience for you personally taught you about yourself? This experience has been really, it's been a great growth experience for me. I've become less afraid of failing and, you know, I think more vulnerable in the learning process. I mean, being in this space and this is an evolving mission that we have. And I always want to feel informed by all different types of voices to help us have an appropriate perspective that changes over time as the needs change. So like learning how to evolve with 
just a mission as time and culture changes has been for me a really good growth opportunity. And what excites you most about the future in terms of the work that you're doing at Get Included? Oh, I'm so excited for larger adoption, including people with neurodiversities and employment. I think that, you know, I've worked in many different environments and settings professionally. And when I'm at the coffee shop, it's just something really special about the work culture and work family that we have and that really shines from this place of understanding like this true humanness and vulnerability and and sort of teaching each other. And I think that collaboration and this back and forth continual teaching that we experience and, and that really that I find so personally gratifying. And that's really what I look forward to is sharing that so that other people can really understand that as well. One thing that Eric and I have talked with guests about on this podcast over the last couple of years is this sort of shift that's happening inside of a lot of companies with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And a lot of that has to do with a lot of the unfortunate events that we've seen play out in the U.S. over the last couple of years. And I'm curious to know you know, obviously diversity, equity, and inclusion is a very broad term and can mean a lot of different things. But in this particular case, I'm curious to know if those changes, those conversations have made its way to the neurodiversity world as well, too. And if you've been seeing sort of a shift over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's a great question. Yes. I think that when we think about accessibility, it's Accessibility of opportunity as well. You know, I think there's a huge portion of this country and the world that really we just take for granted the opportunity we have. And when we look at something like how does this play out for someone who is on the spectrum and is trying to get a job and, you know, the accessibility of just employment to get to the job or an appropriate tech to apply for the job. Those things are all included. They start way before the actual employment starts. And that's our larger mission is really all aspects of social inclusion so that there is a place for people to come as they are and bring the skills that they have and and that we would be nurturing and having everyone meet their ceiling despite the circumstances that they have. And I think that education attempts to really do this or public education in the U.S., And we just need that model to, or the culture of mindset to continue into post-school life, into community life, really. I think that we'd be much more thoughtful about our neighbor and the situation and the struggles that they have individually. And unfortunately, when that plays out, it can be really destructive. You mentioned your son, Oliver, being a great teacher to you and learning so much from him directly. I'm curious about other folks that you've been able to sort of turn to or have been part of your life to work with you as sort of coaches or mentors that you, you'd love to share? Who are some of those people? Right now, I'm doing a big hurdle. Personally, I'm, just, I'm getting my PhD in nursing and I'd have to give a nod to my advisor, <laughs> Matt McHugh, who's helped me really conceptualize how research and how evaluating outcomes in like a measurable way is important for shaping policy and systems Mm -hmm. change in the future. So all of my 
faculty advisors at the University of Pennsylvania have also fulfilled that role, but particularly my advisors helped me to think about this problem in a way that can be like managed and replicated and really solved from like a multi-systems perspective. And I have a wonderful board of directors that have been instrumental in informing the decisions we make as an organization. I made an effort to include voices from the neurodiverse community as well on that board and to make sure that we truly are hearing the stakeholders' perspective in all ways. And I have a community mentor, Dr. Wendy Ross, who is a developmental pediatrician that's also been very helpful with health and mental wellness and those challenges and how those interface with social determinants such as employment. That's great. Brooke, I want to ask you about Get Cafe. How did you come up with the idea? Walk us through what it's like coming up with the idea and then ultimately launching. Well, we really started the organization as a community space. We wanted to have just a physical gathering place for families who had children with disabilities. And then the first need from the community was really like, let's have some art classes. So we tried to make these inclusive and sensory-based art and music classes. And part of that involved hiring people who were on the spectrum or had other neurodivergence that could be included in teaching and carrying out the instruction because I wanted us to have a place that was really truly inclusive in all ways, not just able-bodied, typical people teaching and supporting families. And then the community that we were in, I was in a really great small town and they didn't have a coffee shop. And we saw that just in hiring that first individual, that there was such a vast unmet need of employment. And there were a few other models that I had looked into, but the coffee shop was one that sort of seemed serendipitous for the the neighborhood we were in. And so with a little bit of research and time and great board and wonderful community to welcome us, we just opened 2019. Great. You mentioned like the importance of like almost like a community space and space itself in order to be able to sort of have all this flourish. What could you pass on to anyone else that would like to replicate that or also maybe model that, creating that space? What could you share with someone else who aspires to do that? I think the most important thing is to be accepting of people as who they are. And that's not always easy because there's some messiness sometimes that comes with being human. And if we're just honest and open about that, I think that the physical space that we have really embodies the way that feels and how that can be, how that can be a really beautiful thing that helps build community and networking in physical spaces and online and just in general. Brooke, where do you draw inspiration from? I'm inspired every day by my my son and my other children. I think that seeing how he's constantly working 10 times as hard as anyone I know and getting up and doing it over and over again, the persistence really inspires me. And I just want to make the world a little bit of a better place for him. Gotcha. And that makes a lot of sense. And obviously that ties right back to why you started the business and why you're so passionate about it. Fun question. I love asking every guest we have on the podcast. I know you said you've listened to a couple of episodes, so you probably know what's coming here, but 
Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone on a regular basis, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging because those are just way too boring. (laughs) I'd have to say that I have a yes, no app that I use to communicate with my son. So that's vital for daily life, Mm -hmm. as is two other apps that I love, Calm, the Calm app for guided meditation and Instagram for scrolling beautiful pictures and being connected socially. Is there anyone on Instagram that you follow for those pictures that is like an artist or, or someone like that? Who are you following that we might or may not know? <laughs> Some of my favorite things to follow are puppy feeds, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, I, yes, I love, love puppies and scrolling, seeing animals doing funny things. So that's probably some of the greatest like mind disconnected. <laughs> I hear that. That's great. Well, Brooke, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your insights and experiences. Our audience loves to stay in touch and then reach out. What are some great ways that our audience can find you and stay in touch? Sure. You can find me at Brooke um, with an E at the end of it at getincluded.org. We're on social on Facebook and Instagram, get included and get cafe. That's it. Find me on LinkedIn as well. Excellent. Thanks so much. Brooke Goodspeed from getincluded.org. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank we had you a blast. Guys for having me. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video and just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again. Thank you.